previously on Shop Talk Show. PRs are bad guy on Twitter. Oh, we should have saved this for the next one. We're right at the end of the oh, show. We'll save we... it for the next one. <laughs> we'll just push it to the next because it is about a three-hour conversation about this guy. It probably is. Hey there, Shopping Bears. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about friend and web design development. I'm Dave Pull Request Group, <laughs> and with me is Chris Merge Button Coyer. Good, hey, Chris, how good, are you doing good. Today? Well, maybe I guess we got to do it because we said we said we would do it. That there, were, it just was a funny tweet that got dropped in the Discord, and it, and and I honestly think the original tweet had some good points. So it's from a fella named Alan Holub. I have no idea who Alan is. I'm afraid. Maybe you're famous. You seem at least a little bit famous. I help you build software better and build better software is his Twitter bio and has a decent number of Twitter followers. So uh, that's that's who that's who the the case is here. The tweet reads when you need PRs, meaning pull requests, when you don't trust the code, you don't trust the person writing the code, you don't trust the process used to write the code, and you don't trust the system used to check in the code. So tr- trust issues, you know, and then he says, maybe we should dump the pull requests and work on that trust thing instead. So the good points of this being that, you know, maybe you're kind of right and that maybe if you have working with just yourself or a team of people you super trust and you have really great checks and balances that are testing that code and that you have, you know, tests against the tests, like you can't even check in the code unless the tests exist and pass and stuff like that. Maybe if you had everything just perfect, that maybe you just when you're done, you just kick it to master. Maybe you don't even have branches. I mean, that sound, it sounds wild. Of course, this has, you know, at, as I speak, 235 quote tweets. You know, this is the main character of the day of dev Twitter. Got, got a little bit ratioed. Yeah. You know? I, I even yeah. went in because <laughs> the first. The first quote for you. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, Shantini. For that, that was pretty uh, funny. Jim, I happen yeah. to be watching Apocalypse Now for the 790th time. And so I was just, sometimes I even fast forward to the part where, you know, Marlon Brando's got this little bowl of water and he's just rubbing it on his bald head because, you know, he, they've gone upriver. They found Colonel Kurtz, you know, and, and it's this like just the creepiest scene of cinema ever ever made where you know he's like are my methods unsound and he's like i don't see any method at all sir it's just the (laughs) creepiest scene that i i just it sometimes it gets in my head for like two weeks at a time Uh, i quoted that (laughs) well quote pr and i wasn't trying to pile on alan although i was so sorry alan if you're if you ruined your day or anything but uh it's just funny because it's kind of like there's some pretty obvious reasons i would you know like i don't think prs are like a a problem in the industry let's say right yeah that's like where it was like Wait, we're mad at PRs? <laughs> like, they, yeah. it's kind of just for me. I just treat like PRs as like a very helpful. It's not. It's a branch, and you just. It's like, can we put this branch on the big branch? You know, it's just like a asking a question, and then you get a nice little view that shows you all the differences between the thing you're trying to put on the main thing. That does not seem like a big. Tr- piece of drama no but. and as a matter of fact i find tremendous value in it 
my good chunk of my life is in PRs. And it's so interesting to be like, oh, what'd you do there? That's interesting. And like, oh, there's a little piece that maybe we should have a little conversation about because it's, you know, and hey, here's the thing that's just wrong. You know, there's all kinds of just mm-hmm. stuff in that. That's great. And GitHub does a great job. Git PR is famously not a feature of Git itself. It's a feature of GitHub. It's a feature of yeah. GitHub and GitLab. Everything else, because it's just a good idea. That I, I've never been like mad at PR. If anything, I've been mad I didn't like really dig into a PR, you know, like like go line by line. Yeah. And, and like I've had regrets, if that makes sense. Like <laughs> I've only had regrets for not like doing PRs more, more better. So, yeah. Cause there's a little, there's a little pressure, isn't there? When there's one sitting there, you're like, Oh, I can't let that sit there that much longer. I have to just get it in. So you, maybe you do like a half-assed job of it. And that's where the regret comes in. Yeah. That's where the regret comes in. Like you have to hit merge or whatever, but like, yeah, it's like, I didn't like nitpick some variable name when I probably should have, or, you know, like just cause it ended up something got named wrong, you know, or, or, didn't reflect the current understanding, but there was, this is just, I don't know, man, like what a world, like, uh, uh, it just is very interesting to me that this is, was a thing. I I think there's actually, I think it's maybe connected. I don't know if, uh, Alan is part of it, but, but there's kind of a like anti branching, isn't there kind of like an anti branching thing? Like, because there's people who are like, it creates a lot of problems. Like, like if you're in a rails app and you branch and you like run the DB and then you push it up and then it runs like a test and creates a migration on the database. And then it has to like roll back the database. Like there's a lot of like drama, (laughs) like, like working on a branch can actually kind of really break like a database or, or make it difficult to like roll back and do all that stuff. Um, I've like seen situations like that. So I I've heard there's like this kind of how like that would work. trunk only development. So sort of thing, like you're always snapping off of trunk only or something. And you only like you, I was working on a branch this morning. That was a branch of a branch. And that wasn't my favorite experience. Cause then I was like, Oh, why is this branch have a bunch of crap that's already committed to master. And then I have to remember that you have to pull master to the secondary branch and you can't just pull master to the thirdary branch. You have to pull the secondary to the thirdary if you don't, if you want to clean up the, as it was just confusing. And so I, I could see not, not, not branching branches very much because that gets brain twisty to me. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I think there's like, there's an argument there, I guess that floats around, but I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if I agree. That's the thing is I don't like, I like feature branches. I like, I like naming things. Why do computer scientists hate naming things? You just say Ugh. it's a feature. And what is the name of the feature? It's the new avatar system. Mm. It wasn't super hard, Chris. We just, <laughs> we just We all agreed we put our new features in the feature one, you know, like in the feature bucket. It's just, why do we hate naming something? It's so easy. So, so easy. I, I get that we do it bad. I get that we do naming bad, but it's not like of all the bajillion problems I have in my life, you know, something like a branch being named weird or like a function being named weird isn't a super huge deal, but it can be a problem, but guess what? We have grip. So we just fix it that way. Yeah. 
lot too much to some wrap around my head around you. But speaking of controversial Git things, did you see that it was back in December of last year? I guess Jack Franklin wrote this blog post: "Why you should check in your node dependencies." Like literally, slap that node modules right right up in there, yo. Oh, wow, wow. And he works at on the Chrome DevTools team, and that's just how they roll. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah you'd think there'd be a lot of commit noise, but maybe not because you just do anything that where you change node modules. That's just a, a separate commit. Like never mix that with hand authored code, you know. And then part of the deal, which I kind of get, is like imagine how much you know, how much work Netlify does on a daily basis or Vercel or whatever, or anything that runs your build process, Cloudflare pages, that has to pull them. Yeah. How much computer churn there is because they're not sitting there. They they promise to do that for you. Like your CI is going to run a lot faster because the code's just sitting right there, yo. Well, and you're, you're probably just doing implicit trust too. Like I'm just trusting that the code on in the NPM in the node modules is good, you know, but if you like put it up in your repo, maybe it gets checked a little better. I don't know. So like passes all your checks. I don't know. I'm not going to like start doing it necessarily as it sounds like I even, you know, cause I live it in not node modules, but WordPress plugins land. My Git repo is all of WP content. So it's not, WordPress itself, that is separate and more secured and cannot be changed via FTP and crap like that. It's kind of locked down. But all the themes are because that's what's in there. And all the content is because that's in, you know, some includes directory or whatever they call it. But plugins are too. So the implication mm -hmm. is that you have to deal with your plugins. So probably every day in my life. I have enough plugins on CSS tricks, for example, that every day they'll one will be updated. Mm -hmm. And I don't do this every day, but I do it at least once a week, update the plugins. And then I don't just update the plugins. I have to go to check them in to Git and push them up because that's how the deploy mechanism works. And it is not my favorite. I'll tell yeah, you what. Yeah. Don't love that. I wish because there's so many tools that are out there that just update your plugins for you, which I'd prefer because I just can't be bothered, you know? Yeah. I wonder if there's like a package manager. I'm you know, sure depend there's a way for, around. This is not the only yeah, way yeah. in the world, but I, I have Git where I want it. Like I'm pointed at it at the directory that I like to have it at. It just so happens that the fallout is that I have to do plugins there. But how many times have you been like working on something and you're like, oh, cool. I can't like merge or I can't push because I have to pull. So I pull and then I like, you know, try to do it and then everything's broke, you know, and you're like, what? what's going on? What, what code change? And you spend half a day like trying to figure it out. And it's like, oh, I had an NPM install. <laughs> that was actually the issue that, oh, that occurred, was yeah. you know? Or like, oh, somebody created a new environment variable and I forgot to add it. You know, like that's mm -hmm. the thing we do with all the time. We've been doing a lot of DevOps stuff lately. But like, you're just like, yeah, you're like, oh, shoot, I'm missing an environment variable. So let me fix it. Yeah. I also find I don't update my NPM dependencies as regularly on purpose. So mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't care. I don't really care what versions these things are at. They're working. So freaking leave them alone. I don't, that's not a super great long-term strategy. And I like that there's tools that like warn you when certain ones need updating and stuff, but there, it's much less common than WordPress plugins. 
WordPress plugins are flying with updates all the time. Really, really, yeah. Yeah, net, net. I would have thought PHP was slower, but yeah, okay. I like it. I well, like it depends it. on what the company is. Maybe, maybe there's some marketing reasons behind it. I found it famously that, that Yoast updates, it feels like every single day. Mm-hmm. And it was too much for me because it's a rather large plugin. And sometimes things go wrong with updates, like just the nature of, you know, moving bits around on servers. Sometimes like one file wouldn't get transferred properly. The whole thing borks. It can, the nature of PHP such is that it can white page your whole site. And I was like, okay, enough. Have you used uh, NPM outdated ever? Like uh, you just type mm-hmm. NPM outdated? And it'll give you a list of all your outdated modules. And then you thing. have to one by one it. And be like, then you have to one by one it. But this is where it gets frustrating is like, if the, if, if I do like NPM install this thing, NPM, like sometimes it's like, yeah, okay, I installed it. And you look and nothing changed. Like it just fetched the same version you had because like, a, did it change your like lock hard. file though or something? Well, no, it's like, cause you're, it just, it's. Like you say, you're supposed to like do npm install whatever view showdown, you know, yeah. and it'll like up update that. But but if it's pinned to a version in your package, it'll just fetch that version basically, you know. So you have to like then like go into the package and hmm. either delete it or like reset it. Anyway, I'm I'm been dealing with like that to some degree too. Is just like I got plenty of stuff I need to update, but I just like there's a bit of a hassle in updating stuff. And then you're, it's, you know, not to be too uh, critical. It, it's a bit of a house of cards. Cause if I update whatever Babel core to seven dot O dot O dash bridge dot O what happens? <laughs> like, <laughs> does it, does it fall over? Or does it, you know, uh, do I, do I really, so. It does worry me sometimes that like even if you're doing pretty good diligence on those, you open up the site, you click around, you run your tests, but you're like, mm, what if it's something more like deeper weird, you know? Like, I'm never like super sure that it's gonna be fine. Well in Simvar, right? It's like major minor patch, you know, like major versions. Uh, I liked actually uh uh Melanie's and and um Ember's approach where the major versions contain breaking changes for sure. They contain breaking changes and that's what they're supposed to be. But sometimes people just do it as a major update, like ESLint 7.32 versus ESLint 8.8. Chris, I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. So Mm. that's a big one for me. You know, that controls a lot of things for me. So, and kind of everything looks like they jumped anyway. So you just have to figure that all that out. I, I really like when people adhere to that. And it seems like the vast majority of things do. But, you know, I was just looking at 3JS the other day on version 137. You know, they don't. That's not Semver. Well, maybe I need more E to E tests and then a Dependabot. That's probably my situation. If I get if I get something that runs and, and it's like, can you get to the homepage? And it's like, yes, I could get to the homepage. That's probably what I need. So... <laughs> If it can do that, then I can do anything, I guess. I don't know. I have to figure that out. This episode is brought to you by AxCon, a free digital accessibility conference from our friends at DeQ, makers of the Axe DevTools browser extension 
comes a virtual conference welcoming developers to learn about building, testing, and maintaining accessible digital experiences. I spoke at AxCon in 2021. It's an amazing event. There's so many people speaking. It's so filled that you get to see accessibility from a, a bunch of different angles. And uh, some of the best things I, I got out of it were just kind of these summaries of like the sort of state of the union in accessibility. Uh, so there's there's so much going on. Like I'm just going to name some of the amazing speakers uh, that are coming here. I'm just going through the website. So there's this guy, Sim, Sir Tim Berners-Lee. I don't know. Invented the web. Seth Godin. Mm, seems popular. Liz Jackson. Amazing speaker. Watched tons of her talks on, on YouTube. Regine Gilbert. Rachel Andrew. Stephanie Walter. Maria Lamardo, who does like a lot in the view community. Jamie Knight and Lion are going to be there. L Waters. Uh, Nick Chan, fellow Shopamaniac, Scott Vinkle, who used to help me on the accessibility project, Stephanie Eccles, Glenda Sims, uh, who the good witch, she's been on Shop Talk Show before, Ann Cook, who probably read her blog post 150,000 times, and Jared Smith, the, the guy who maintains the, the Web Aim Million study that happens every year. Uh, so many fantastic people, uh, knowledgeable people. Uh, this is sort of the, the cream of the crop for people who, who, practice and know a lot about accessibility so if that interests you uh you should head over uh to deq.com slash axe hyphen con deq.com slash axe con uh and it's march 15th through 17th full days of conference multiple days of conference so join us there I'll, i'm probably going to be there march 15th through 17th at com slash axcon all right here's some two two back-to-back user questions hey uh, been a while user, you're not your users it. you're just listeners Listen. i'm gonna read them both because they they seem so similar interesting okay anna writes in uh, web developer, 12 years into the career, formerly full stack, nowadays mostly front end. I'm afraid my skills have become rather scale. I work with an older system using an old JavaScript library. I'm getting overwhelmed trying to refresh my knowledge. Not really looking for a new job, but want to be more current. Do I do React, ES6, modern CSS? What should I do? So there's Anna, you know, 12 years deep, kind of trying to make sure she's probably not backed into a corner or anything. It seems smart move. Here's Nathan. Okay, I've heard jQuery is no longer cool. The thing is, I've been writing <laughs> jQuery for seven years, and I've gotten really good at it. It already solves most of my problems, you know, along with PHP and, you know, Ajaxon. So uh, my sites don't, they're, don't, they're not slow. Is there any good reason to switch to something more modern? I'm not opposed to learning something new, but I'd like a framework that has the same level of functionality and simply, where do I go from jQuery? So they, it's just interesting that we got two questions so close to each other that were so similar, it's, you know, and we've heard this lots more times on Chop Talk Show as well. Lots of people in this position. I even sort of, th these are the people I had in mind when I was thinking about the Great Divide stuff from a couple of years ago. There's a lot of people in that kind of like, you know, WordPress and jQuery and stuff, which is literally what CSS Tricks is, by the way. Yeah. Um, that it's like, you can make a pretty good living at it, but there pro probably will come a day where it's even that it, I don't know, it, it scares me that that eventually will die. Ugh maybe yeah so 
you know, jQuery thing's probably easier to tackle first, like Nathan. Oh, okay. Like, for me at least, like, like jQuery is probably, it's probably not getting new big feature releases. I don't know if there's going to be a jQuery 4, you know, <laughs> or what. Right. If it's working, it's working for you. That's great. The reason to upgrade would be purely like a lot of the new in the last seven years that you're kind of talking about a lot of the new Dom features have our jQuery features document query selector. All is basically the dollar sign in, in yeah, jQuery. Right. There's a for each for arrays and that's like yeah. dollar dot each, like F- a lot fetch of fetch is fine. You know, fetch is like dollar dot Ajax. Like, yeah. you, like all these things now exist in the browser. And if you, if you figure it out, you save 30 gzip kilobytes, which ends up being like a hundred something unminip or unzipped bytes or something like that of JavaScript. Like, plus it, it seems more future friendly anyway. So, like, you uh, going around calling yourself a jQuery developer is probably not doing you any good. You a uh, step forward in your career is maybe just drop it and do all that stuff in native JavaScript. It's certainly hip. <laughs> You'd be kind of rad if you just did everything you did now, but you never touched a library to do it. Yeah. Well, and I just, there's, there's way, I think you can replace a lot of jQuery with not jQuery. There's a few functions though, like closest and um, what would be another one? Like a, a parents, plural, uh, and wrap that don't exist. There are ways, you know, jQuery is just JavaScript. There's ways to do that. Like, uh, Christopher Nandy has a whole bunch of libraries and stuff to help you like get off of jQuery and stuff like just using mm-hmm. regular vanilla JavaScript. Uh, but that would be something to maybe look at. Like it depends on what you're using, but if your use of jQuery is I use jQuery slider, I use jQuery, you know, Lightbox, I use jQuery, blah, 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 blah. You might just stay using jQuery because that's a lot of stuff to replace at that point. So, Oh, I see. Yeah. If you're not just using like utilities, but you're using like plugins back from the day that jQuery use it UI, internally. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, that's a good point. There's a good discrepancy there or uh, not discrepancy, but like distinction between those things. Yeah. And, but you know, if you're using fit vids, get off of it. Like just yeah. <laughs> like there's a, there's an aspect ratio in CSS replaces fit vids. Yeah. Just totally, get off entirely. of fit vids. Yeah. Even clamp almost kills Fit text. Fit text. I I'm, have a blog post half written, just like, do you use clamp? Like, it's just, it's probably better, you know, like with, with fit text, I had to re- measure the browser every time you resize. Clamp does not. Clamp just knows how wide your browser is. So. Oh, it's so great. It's like one of my favorite things in all of CSS right now. You can get the min max, you can get like clamping. Um, it, like, it's just, it's so easy to express what you're doing. So part of me thinks though you're saying, Oh, I'm using jQuery and I'm using, I'm Ajaxon for PHP and stuff. Part of me thinks that's a way to dip your toe into the future. If you want to, in that chances are, then you're, that means you're getting some data and then you're going to do something with it on the front end. Now, maybe that data is ready to go HTML. I know that's, you know, a school of thought that suggests that that's the best possible route and that the back end should be doing the, templatizing in a way but it's more common i'd say is that the response is like json and that you 
stringify into an object and then you map over it and template it and stuff. That's stuff jQuery sucks at. That's not, jQuery is not going to help you with that, but something like petite view will. Like that's, that was built for that type of, of world. And if you're like, oh, I, you know, I still need, I want like click handlers and stuff. Well, great. You know, jQuery's way of click handlers was to have real separation between the HTML and the JavaScript saying, I'm going to write a selector. I'm going to select that thing I want to be clicked on and then write code. And it, and it just turned out over time that I think as much as people like that and may still like that, that it maybe wasn't as genius of an idea as everyone thought. And that maybe just chucking click handlers right on the thing that you want to click is kind of like the right path. Yeah. I mean, I think there's benefits. Like I think it, even from components too, you're just like, when you click this thing, do this thing. You're not like, I hope that ID stays the same forever. <laughs> like you're, you're yeah. not doing that, you know, like you're, yeah, that's dangerous stuff that, I mean, it just will break some at some point selectors are notoriously slippery. So anyway, I think that that might be cool. You know, you're certainly going to so, something like petite view. Dave and I have a video on that might be a, a step forwards into modernizing your way of thinking about building stuff. Yeah. I think that's a good one. And to Anna's thing, like I'm, been doing it 12 years like you know what should i do like there's a i mean i don't know there's there's a lot of things you could do i mean i i would i like the for css like css has changed a lot in 12 years and and i don't think anyone's up on everything i had questions about this new cascade layers that came out recently today. Ooh, and it is weird. Yeah. It, it's melting my brain a bit. And I just was like, cause, cause the, like if you type it in the normal way, that's more powerful than a at layer. And so like, I'm like, ah, that's what's going on. Cause usually the at something like at media is more powerful than the root. Anyway. So I'm figuring all that out and my brain's starting to wrap my head around it. Um, but there is learn uh, web.dev slash learn slash CSS is really good. Obviously CSS tricks, but like web.dev learn CSS is just a CSS course. So you can catch up on everything, skip the parts, you know, really well, you know, that's pretty easy. Um, and as far as JavaScript and stuff like that, to be more current, you know, I, there's a lot of options there. Uh, I like West bosses, like react for beginners is a really great place to start because Wes is pretty good at like teaching you just here's how to get started in this. And here's what it does, you know, um, yeah. react according to the Jamstack survey is very popular. <laughs> and so you can probably get a job doing it. So I, I would, I would think, you know, how, how when you ever jump into a code base that you're not really familiar with, you do that. At least I think front end developers do this. They, they're like, I, I know I need to change stuff like styling and layout and content and stuff. So let's say you hello world, something like Next.js or Nuxt. just use. And then, you know, cause it's so easy. They always make the DX of installing it raw so so easy you know you yeah. type three lines and it's already spun up a web server and all that click that and open it and it'll say like welcome to next.js or something just like do the old find in project for that line of text and you'll find the file that it's in and then change it and hit save and see what it does it might be a little eye-opening for you because depending on what your your stack is it, it, you know these days that it's going to 
instantly change that content. You find the styles that are styling that page and change it. It's going to instantly change those. There's a world of like embedded DX that lives in some of these new frameworks. That's freaking sweet. Yeah. So good that you might want to, that there's some value there. You might find that you're faster and, and all that stuff. I find working in Next really great. I would say I've not, I haven't actually used it. Um, and I, you know, they, they bring controversy wherever they go, but the, all that gang behind Remix has got a lot of stuff behind it. And a lot of the vibe is just do things like the way you are, like the classic way, do it the HTML way, do it the CSS way. And I, and I do, I do think that's really cool. And especially it might be a kind of a cool bridge framework for somebody that hasn't updated their skills in a while to go with a framework that's kind of embracing what they feel is kind of the past, but to you is your present, you know? If you're going to stay in React, I liked Redwood. I thought it was pretty cool um, just because mm. it, it's pretty like they have a pretty good uh, example how to like get you set up. You know, they had a little quick or like a, what do you call it? Tutorial thing. Uh, yeah. In the tutorial section, learn. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Cool. And just how they do it is very, uh, like this yeah. is the guy who made GitHub behind it. So like, it's very, like very <laughs> traditional rails appy kind of vibe, you know? So uh, I found it to be pretty useful. Um, if you're very HTML forward in your, your, the way you do things, view is a really excellent choice. You know, you could learn next, um, mastering next is a course they have. Uh, I I'd recommend that like, um, just because, uh, I don't know, you learn Nuxt, maybe you could work for me, but <laughs> we'll figure that out. Uh, but I think, like, you know, there's so many cool options uh, yeah. for frameworks. There, there's one, I guess, what I want to say is, like, modern JavaScript, there's one that fits your way of doing it. That's what I'd want to say. Like, how are you used to making code? Somebody has been frustrated with React or is frustrated with Vue or and created something that fits the way you do it. So... And maybe that's Angular, maybe it's Ember, maybe it's, you know, but yeah. there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot of paths, but I, I think it's, um, I, I think like there's somebody who does it the way your brain thinks about it. So yeah. that's what I'd say. I think one of the biggest like leaps is this, like, I've never used a JavaScript framework and now I know that lots of people do. So maybe I should start using them too. That's, that's going to be a hard one to leap over because I think you'd know if you needed one at this point that you're going to have to kind of invent a reason to need one <laughs> in a way. Cause yeah. like the work will, I think is fairly obviously demands it when it demands it, you know, it means that you haven't built anything particularly like data and templatey heavy with lots of obvious interaction stuff. I mean, I shouldn't say that you you just haven't because, you know, the web's a big place and there's lots of people. But the world of like, you know, use this horrible word, web app land has like come mm. to kind of need and rely on the feature set of JavaScript frameworks. And and I, I mean, it's it's really powerful. I mean, I was doing a Nuxt you know, I'm working in Nuxt and I was building out some user flows, trying to fix all this stuff up. And, mm -hmm. you know, I needed like, uh, 
what is it like users that haven't signed in, logged in for the first time yet view. And, and I just couldn't, I was able to spin that up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so uh, I was, I was able to get that going and that's kind of what you want, you know? Yeah. You just want to make sure they can, you know, it all works. So. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Notion. That's notion.so. That's where you can go to get started for free with your team. It's a collaborative tool. And, you know, when I first got started working with Notion, this was kind of an unintended side effect of working with it. It wasn't even how it was necessarily marketed, really, but this is how it played out. And I'm very happy about it is that it replaced a bunch of tools. For example, we needed a tool at CodePen to work on shared tasks, you know, like a Kanban board of like, who's working on what, who's talking about, where, where do I go to reference information about this task and all that stuff. We do all that in Notion, meaning we don't need a separate tool for like project planning kind of stuff because it works in Notion. And then we have meetings. Where do we keep those meeting notes? Well, we probably use some third party app, but we don't need to anymore. We do it right within Notion. And then it's better because it's like you go to work on a task, be like, oh, what did we say when we worked on that last time? Or last time we talked, where are the meeting notes for that? Who was commenting on it and giving extra context and information? Well, it's all a notion, which is great. And then there's just general knowledge-based stuff that we need as well, like who works for us and what's their phone number or whatever in case I need to call them or, or what's our policy on this or Where's some documentation about how we handle support requests for this? It's all in Notion, whereas that would have been like stored somewhere else before. And sometimes those things were rather awkward. Like, oh, it's in this buried Dropbox folder or something. You didn't know that? No, now it's in Notion and not just in Notionable, but searchable and easily organized within Notion. That's one of the things I love about Notion. Thanks for the sponsorship. That's Notion.so. Um, I'll end with uh, with our last topic because I'm going to hit you with an yet another one. This is my strategy Ooh. is to just mine Dave's brain for things. Actually, what I, I, I it's the old free consulting move. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> Hell yeah, it is. What does Nuxter and View generally do for prop types? Like, do you know what I even mean with prop types? Yes, like, sir. It's a, it's a heavy word. It's a heavy thing in in React land, and I don't know what the equivalent in View is. Uh, so it's, so every view component, like that, like in, like you think of a dot view file and then you have a template tag, a style tag and a script tag, right? Right. And scripts as export default curly braces. And That's then where you're going to get your props. And if, then you, you have a props act or key, I guess, in this object or class, I guess that is a, so it's like props colon, and you can just do an array in there, like a array of strings. So like, okay, uh, foo bar and baz, right? Or or like those are the names of the props that are on the way in, or so those those are the names of the props that this thing accepts. That's what it's going to look for when okay. it looks for props, right? And it won't even look for anything else. I well, so. It, but if you install like Veter and all the like, like kind of like linting tools that you could should probably have for uh, view apps, um, it's going to complain about that. So, so it says like, you know, prop 
or props should at least have a type, right? Okay. Um, and so then you have to flip that array of props into an object. Oh, yeah. So then it's then it's like ob, uh, an object curly braces, and then it's like whatever foo colon, and then another object curly braces, and then you have to say type equals string. Or sure. type colon so string. So that's built right into view itself. So that's built right into view. And I'm not sure if it's maybe it's it could possibly not be a view thing, but I think it is built into view. Um because I'm using it from the Nuxt side of things. But it like but so then you define the type and then you define a uh and then you can also do then they'll yell at you and it says provide a default so you do like default null you know something like that oh right 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 that way yeah you can if you don't pass it or something it's really helpful in booleans like like if so if you have type boolean uh like is dismissible it was one i just did you know and it's like well i i want the default to be true i want it to always be dismissible but if somebody like really wants this alert to not be dismissible they can turn it off you know Mm -hmm. um so type boolean default true and then there's other things you can do is like you can add like uh i think it's validator and that's a function and then you can pass a function that validates the input the value oh nice yeah 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 like a schema yeah so now you can like basically be like you know if whatever foo equals a, B, or C, like however you want to type that. Yeah, you I do some enums or whatever. Yeah, you can like match it against like an enum, you know, and so like it has to exist in this list of values. And if it doesn't. Yeah, it seems useful. Let's say you don't do any of this. Do you still have access to the props or is this your gateway to even getting access to touch them at all? You know? Like, do you have, do you have to say this component has, is dismissible as a prop and I want to access it and I don't. I'm not going to take these extra prop typey steps, you know, to, can, can I use it because I'm just being fast and sloppy and I don't care or do I have to like define it to get it? So you don't have to, like you can, I think, um, I think there's like the idea of children, like dollar children or whatever, where any sort of things just sort of like, you, that's sort of your big whatever slip through gate, yeah. Um, which is kind of how you do it in React, right? You're just like dot 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 props or whatever, and like you just chuck those through. Um, yeah, kind of. But this, like, I think in view, what they really try to do is like if you want this to be in here and you want it to like, because in view you have to like go through and it's because it's kind of more like a class. So you say like this dot foo. In your template, you just type foo, but in your anywhere you're in the JavaScript realm, the script realm, you say like this dot foo. Oh, it's not like this dot props dot foo. It just attaches them right to this. Yeah, and so then you could do like this children foo maybe, and and like that might work. I'm not really feeling mm-hmm. good about that, but like that. So it sounds like you generally do define your prop types or whatever. Man, is children only elements? I may have this all wrong. So I, I I'm gonna actually back out <laughs> but i like you should define your props like you basically just want to say like this accepts this so right it's kind of like but is it is it typescript like do you you know like is it just like doing this instead of typescript sort of that this is kind of like a a 
faux TypeScript. Um, yeah. To be honest, I'm not sure how it totally works in uh, Vue 3, which has like a TypeScript background. Like it, it's backed by TypeScript, if you will. Um, so this is just kind of a... I could probably just look at like Vue 3 props or something. I do kind of dig how it it combines the types and the default values. That's a clever little twist. Yeah, it's it's smart. Gosh, I'm trying to... What is... Oh my god, I'm, my brain is like not working because then they only show the regular way to do it. They don't show the composition API. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> it's probably like use prop foo, you know? I see though that it's just like a first class citizen of your script, right? You just go props, props colon, and then you just say what they are. Like that's, it is a nice, nice little API. Well, I like that it's built into it, you know, like I didn't have to go install another library for it. Right. You, know? you don't have to, um, you don't have to import anything either. Yeah. Which is nice. Uh, I'm just curious about like how, cause I think we've made the call. I've been working on this bunch of be like, okay, we used to enforce this. Then we stopped, but like, let's get more serious about code linting stuff. Let's put it all back. Okay. Real easy to tell your ES lint in, you know, JSX land. Hey, all props must be validated and throw an error if you don't. Well, then you got to go back in time and fix out all your components. So it's going to be annoying. So I've been just doing a ton of prop types work. Interesting. And just seeing how different things do it and whether is that a moment where you move to TypeScript? I mean, we're not going to do that, but uh, just kind of interesting because it's all types. You're just all day long. Types, 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 you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I think it's it's kind of funny. It's like you gateway yourself, right? Like you're like, this is helpful. And then all of a sudden you're like, we need to do something else. Is it so smart that if you call that component with the wrong type, it will know from the where you're calling it from? That would be nice, right? Otherwise, What's that? Like, let's say you, you know, because you you have some modal component, right? That's is dismissible. Let's say you called is dismissible from somewhere else in the app and said is dismissible eight. Would it be like <clears throat> no? I know that this component has told me that it must be a boolean, so I'm going to squiggle you in this other component. You think that would be the real value? That would be the real value, like failing something. I know it does like bark in console if you have something wrong. Like, oh, I bet that's what it is. It's it's a console violation. So you catch it as you're deving. Yeah. So it's a console violation. I don't think it craps your app out. I think what what will crap your app out is like you get like not a number, and then it's just like I died because you sent. Yeah, because actual you, code failed. Yeah, the the like eight plus ABC did not work, right? And so like that's what fails. Um, and so yeah, that's kind of. And if you're, you know, chances are your dev tools are open all day as you're working on the app anyway, and so all that red stuff that comes, you're like highly motivated to fix, and that's why it gets fixed. Although it's funny, I think of like Axe Dev Tools whole like move left philosophy, which is like sure there's you know, you could have accessibility problems. Your users could tell you what they are. Well, that's way on the right of, you know, you could move it to the left where it's like you test production while you've moved a little bit to the left. Well, but you could test it before it goes to production on staging. You've moved a little bit more left. Oh, you could lint it before it even goes to staging. You've moved left even more. Oh, you could test it in VS code. You know, that's left even more or, you know, the idea of moving left is cool. I'd say, I would think 
that would be yet another move left in this case is if you really did get the squiggles in VS Code when you even type a prop type that's wrong. That'd be yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm trying to think. No, I don't think it does that because too often I don't think too it does you're dealing with like data, like a remote object, and that's where it gets me. Is like you know, like I'm doing dealing with item dot first name or whatever you know, or user dot first name, not like the number eight. I'm rarely passing actual data. I'm usually passing what I think the data is going to be. You know what I mean? So yeah, it probably doesn't, um, but a TypeScript would. <laughs> TypeScript's <laughs> weird because it, yeah, yeah, like then you have this big like whatever bind between yeah. what what is going in and out. So then there's this irony that one of the things that you can say is, um, and we've kind of I've moved moved this direction over time is that you should pass you should like let do less like decomposing of the stuff like if you have an item you should just pass the item to the component uh, you know and then you, you can really cheap out on your prop types and be like oh that's just an object and it's required oh so you think that's bad or well i think it's a little bad because it's not because it's like you didn't prove anything oh good job you passed an object what you need to describe is the, sh <laughs> the shape of that object which prop types totally supports it's just a little more effort to to do and then if you pass it around a lot you should really probably describe it once in some utility thing import that shape and then use it then in the like 10 components you have that pass that item around you can use that same prop type shape in all of them but that's just a lot of abstraction well see now i'm curious how it works in react like um i i will say in view three i figured it out yeah like you do setup functions which is like and you can auto set up but like in that you get a props attribute or a props argument yeah. pass through and then you can destructure props and get the ones you want like title body whatever comments or something yeah uh so anyway i just wanted to clear that up but but in react if you're like dot 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 props or something does it yell at you if you pass too many or like mm. if i pass like ninja or whatever does it i don't hate? know about the too many the too many is an interesting one I don't think it would. Uh, I don't know. It feels like there should be. Because you know what I also played with the other day? was like AJV, which is this JSON validator tool mm -hmm. thing. And that very much definitely did have a expect these and no more values in an object. Yeah, which, yeah. Which was, which was kind of cool. I, you know, I don't know. Like, it seems like it should, you know? Like, obviously, if somebody typed out some prop that this other component just wasn't expecting at all, that seems like something you should want to flag. I wonder if that creates some inflexibility, though, with like HTML, you know, like the, the, the problem is the, the dot 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 props thing. Yeah, because because that's pretty common and I like it. I think it's cool because a lot of these these things are just HTML bound, you know, like eventually there's a div or something. And if you dot 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 props the end of it, that means that like I have the opportunity whenever I'm calling this function to just chuck on stuff like a data attribute or an ARIA role or whatever. Like I, I have that and I don't have to explicitly make it part of the API because I'm just saying like, here's the here's my props, but also accept whatever, because I'm, I'm not trying to recreate the DOM, like just assume that I can do whatever the DOM can do also. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Tricky. Because there's because you're OK. You're okay spreading the props, 
But if you pass props as an object, that would be a wrong wrong. Yeah. No, I'm okay yeah. with spreading I'm okay <laughs> with spreading the rest of the props. Okay. Cuz the way it works is you like I don't know what the view syntax is, but you know you know the in the view in the view syntax you go props colon and then an array yeah. or like that's one of them. At the end of that array it would be like and the rest of them, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, views like more explicit or whatever. It's like yeah. you like say like colon foo equals foo or whatever foo dot one. Yeah, it kind of looks like you do have to declare them though to get if you want this dot foo, you need to do props foo. You I, you said like doing the passing a giant object like let's say post the whole post object. Yeah, just you all know, of it. You're kind of yeah. like just pass it all in. Like I actually started doing that, but in, in I've started using view has provide and inject, which is a lot like reacts, uh, like a react provider, react context sort of stuff. Like you set the, you set provide at the parent component and then inject in the child component. So my child, whatever post author metadata component, you know, mm. can, I can just say inject post or in the post component, I say provide post, like all this post data. And in my child component, I say inject post, which basically just to me means like expect post to exist, you know, like, like we're going to, we're going to just use whatever post we have. And that actually saved me a lot of prop passing because I was like doing all this destructuring and I was doing all this, like uh, sort of like trying to just ship this whole object down and stuff like that. And I just was like, you know, if I just, if these sets of components expect a thing, if like that's in the contract, if I can make a little contract, like this component will always expect a post object, you know, you can totally do that. And, but that's like data that probably came from a database. And I think that's like in a different category than like my button component those props should probably not because you could go that route too. You could pass in a style object and the style object has properties that are, you know, big and full width and has outline yeah. and all that stuff. You, I think it's, it feels better to me to be explicit about those props because right, it's right. easier to provide defaults for them and you know, all that. But if it's like this stuff came from database, just pl- blast that crap around in a, <laughs> all together. <laughs> I like where we're, we've, summed it up if it comes from database just blast it yeah just but blast it, it yeah but if it's like a if it's the api of the component like you know add a border here go full width or whatever um then validate it more then closely. validate it more yeah okay well, all right well we solved the internet again you're oh, welcome everybody another classic shop talk so <laughs> I, I wonder though moving left if you move too much stuff left what happens does the, does the machine stop? You know. Yeah, I mean? I mean, yeah, you just have a lot more work to do. You know. Yeah, everything because then it's like okay, everything's left, everything's on my computer, all the rules, all the you know whatever uh, legal hoops are on the left side here now. So I'm gonna anytime I type a character, it's gonna yell at me, and now I'm gonna. I just want when it has a problem with bug prevention, moving left is the right place for it. There's though, some you know? data. Um, Microsoft, I, I could find it. Maybe uh, Microsoft Research, uh, who I've worked for. So full disclosure there. Um, they have a lot of good research on technology and computers and stuff like that. Um, but one thing they have, they, there's an article about like strong typing and what it does. And it's something like 
it eliminates on average just this big sample across Microsoft or something like 15% of all errors. If you use strong types like React or like a hmm. TypeScript, it's kind of maybe where they're fair. coming from. Yeah. But like versus just no types, and maybe prop types are the middle ground there. Yeah, maybe um, seven point five percent of all bugs. Seven point, <laughs> but like you solve like something like fifteen percent of all bugs just by using strong right. types, which is for Dave Rubert, like it's maybe not worth it because I don't write bugs, right? So yeah. just like I don't do PRs, so. For just types, sure. But then, you know, if you're talking about TypeScript, there's like other crap that you buy, like all the fancy IDE autofill, you know. You get a lot more features, right? Wackadoo, so, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, there's, there's kind of, uh, anyway, some good details or just good ideas. Uh, I don't know. There, there's, it's maybe a thing you should do. I'm not super zealous about TypeScript. I kind of wonder if it's going to go away faster than I'm going to get to it. So uh, we'll see. I don't, know. I don't uh, have anything in it just yet either. Um, yeah. I feel a little behind on that regard, but, but not enough to do anything about it. Huh? That's the thing is like, there's sort of a like, okay, we can jump in, but is it going to super make it better? So, um, and I think for some people who have hit type issues, I, I've, I think a lot of, Libraries are kind of starting to use it because they have to accept certain things, you know, like like Vue three is written in TypeScript, uh, Angular is written in TypeScript. I think a lot of Lib React, I think, is moving to TypeScript. So, or if it's not already, but wow. um, yeah, there, but there is a distinction there between your code base and tools that are intended to be used by other people and not look at the source code because you deliver a bunch of value to your users of the library by virtue of it being TypeScript and the APIs of it. So like they're extra incentivized to do it. Right. And, and you're still giving JavaScript to, to whatever JavaScript users, they still get the same thing, but they, they get, you get more bonus editor stuff if you're doing that. But mm -hmm. all uh, right, well, dude, good we'll stuff. Wrap it up. Another all right. Famous well, thank episode. you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast. Your choice, be sure to start heart favorite up. Find that's how people find out about the show for real. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show. Sixteen tweets a month. Join us on the D -D 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 Discord, uh, patreoncom show and we'll probably some YouTube's over on the Real CSS Trucks YouTube channel. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? No, ShopTalkShow.com. <laughs>